All the kids, fifth grade and under, come on up and have a seat right up here. Kids, fifth grade and under, come on up and have a seat. All right, come on up. Good to see everyone. Find a spot to sit here. Lots of room. You can come and sit right down here on the floor, too, right down here. All right, good to see everyone this morning. All right, so we've been celebrating Advent, right? The Advent season, where we anticipate Jesus' coming or his arrival, right? And so we've been using the Advent wreath to help us with that, right? Lighting the candles. So do you remember what the first candle was called? What was that called? Go ahead, say it. The expectation candle, yep. So we'll light that one. And because the people expected, they believed that there was a Savior that was going to be coming, right? And so what was the name of the second candle then? Did it prophecy candle, yeah, because the Bible predicted it told of Jesus' coming, right? It told of that. And so today we're going to light the third candle, and that's called the angel candle. The angel candle. Go ahead and light it, yep. And we're going to light that angel candle because the angels told, as we read the Christmas story in the Bible, the angels told about the coming Savior. They announced the news of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so first we read that an angel came and told a young lady, Mary, that she would be Jesus' mother. We read that in Luke chapter 1. It says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So angel came to Mary, and an angel also came to Joseph, right, and told him that Jesus would be born. We read that in the book of Matthew, chapter 1. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So there's another angel. Angels also came uh, to announce that Jesus was born. They came to the shepherds and announced that Jesus was born. And so not only did the angels announce that Jesus was born, would be born, but they also announced that he was the Savior the people had been waiting for and expecting because of the prophecy. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever, ever had a time when you were waiting for something, something special to happen, maybe even some special people coming for a visit, right? And when you're waiting for people to come for a visit, isn't it exciting when somebody calls out, looks through the window and calls out, they're here. They're here. Isn't that exciting? Well, God's people at this time have been waiting. They had been expecting the Savior to come to them because of the prophecy, right? And so when the angels announced the Savior has been born, do you think that was an exciting time for them? That was really exciting, the announcement that the Savior was born, right? And so the first candle of our Advent wreath is the expectation candle. And the second candle is the prophecy candle. And what was the name of that third one that we lit today? Angel, angel candle, because the angels announced the birth of the Savior 
Jesus Christ. And that was really, really exciting. So, all right, good. You can tell your mom and dad how about All right? You can tell me later. Okay, you guys can go back and have a seat. Thanks for coming up, everyone. All right, if you have a Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 80. If you need a Bible, there are some in the seat in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home and need one, feel free to take that one with you. We have a young man in our church who's donated several hundred of them so that you could do that. And so uh, go ahead and take that. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 80. Advent, as Pastor Jeff has so well told us, is a time of expectation. We should be full of faith and longing for Christ, not because he's going to be born again, but because he was born and he's coming again. God brought us, his people, out of darkness into light. And so what we get to do every Advent is remind ourselves of this. And if you're not aware of it, tell you the story. We have salvation through the birth of a baby. God is saving his people, changing this world through the birth of a baby. Uh, This is folly to the world, and it's the power of God. God uses small, very human things to bring about salvation. Here's Luke 1, 39 to 80. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary returned, or remained with her about three months, and then returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they, were, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, you shall, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? 
for the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up, a, raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him with, without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go prepare before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. The child grew, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Be gracious to us, O God. Let us not wander from your commands. We desire to keep our way pure by guarding it according to your word. We do not want to sin against you, and so ask your mercy that your word may be stored up in our hearts. Open our eyes then, O God, please, that we may behold the wondrous things out of your law. In Christ's name, amen. So in this first chapter of 80 verses, which whoever did the verse divisions could have been more kind to us, I'm not giving us a chapter 80 verses long, uh, we see two different uh, things going on, two different places. First, you have Mary's visit to Elizabeth in verses 39 to 56, and then the birth of John the Baptist in 57 to 80. The focus of both of these two scenes is Christ. The first is a recognition of an unborn child of an unborn child who is Christ. This is astounding. We'll have much application from that. And the second then focus on the birth of uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth's son, John, who will be the forerunner of Christ, and so it focuses in again on the coming King Christ. So we're just going to take those one at a time. First, we have Mary's visit to Elizabeth. If you remember from last week before in verses 26 to 38, Mary, uh, an angel comes to Mary, tells her that she's going to have a child even though she's a virgin, that the God himself would overshadow her by his spirit and she would conceive and her son would be holy. Her son would be the son of God. Her son is the coming savior. <clears throat> At the very end of that, the angel tells Mary that her uh, relative Elizabeth, who has been barren her whole entire life, who is now even beyond childbearing age, has also conceived a son and she is six months pregnant. And so we're not surprised that in verse 39 that Mary arose and then with haste goes to visit Elizabeth. And so Mary goes with haste. Now, Mary has also told this news about Elizabeth to reassure her. And so Mary's not only, I think, going to celebrate the coming birth of Elizabeth's son, but also to find some reassurance. So Mary goes to a hill country in the town of Judea. She enters the home of Zechariah and greets her relative Elizabeth. And Elizabeth's uh, child in her womb, upon hearing the greeting of Mary, the baby leaps. <laughs> uh, the baby leaps. 
And so if there is ever a text in the Bible that proves that unborn children are worthy of our protection, it's this one. Right? In our day, since Roe, you've heard it many times, we've murdered 60, 70 million unborn sons and daughters. And in our day, uh, the number of abortions is decreasing, but not really because the thing that's coming now are these chemical abortions, right? Where instead of a woman having a surgical procedure where her baby is dismembered, she now takes a chemical, a pill, and goes home in the privacy of her home, and the child is removed. And so Christians, we need to be aware of this, and we need texts like this to convince us all again of the horror of this. Here is a baby, the first one, an unborn child, recognizing another unborn child. This is a human being in a womb. The first evangelist is an unborn child. (laughs) So these are precious. This is glorious. Elizabeth, we note, or we're told, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this isn't that she didn't have the Spirit of God before. This is that she is given... Here, the extraordinary ability to tell something that we need to be told. It's not that she suddenly became a prophet. It's that she is going to loudly now proclaim God's word as her husband. We know, well, again, in verse 67. What does she tell us? What does Elizabeth cry out with a loud voice? What does she tell us? Oh, she blesses Mary. Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. She has some humility in verse 34. Why is this privilege granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? So she blesses Mary for her pregnancy. So Mary, again, as we'll see in just a moment, she's not blessed because she's Mary. She's blessed because she's carrying the Son of God in her womb. The pregnancy is the blessing. The joy is a baby being knit together in her womb. So as I said last week, I want to say again this week, pregnancy is a glory. Childbearing and child rearing is a blessing from God that needs to be said in a world that thinks it's anything but. It's anything but. So Mary has a great honor of bringing into the world God's own son. The baby within Mary is Elizabeth's Lord. He is, as we've sung, the eternal God coming in flesh. He will have all power and authority to rule highest heaven and earth. And so we can take a note from Elizabeth. Cheerily, cheerily submit ourselves to Christ's rule. To greet the Son of God with such joy. We can also take a lesson from Elizabeth's unborn child, can't we? So some of you, it's Christmas. It can be a season of sadness and sorrow. It is a Christian thing to weep. You're grieving loss. Maybe it's a new grief for you and that this is the first Christmas without a loved one. It's good as a Christian to weep. It's good to have sorrow. Loss is really loss. You don't have to pretend it's anything but that. And yet, in your grief, you can see a coming Savior, a resurrected King who 
can give joy in the midst of your grief. And so I'd urge you to take a lesson from Elizabeth and her son. So then after this, Mary sings a song of praise. So Mary goes with haste to visit Elizabeth. She receives this great greeting from Elizabeth and Elizabeth's child with this joy. And Mary, we note, sings a song. This is a good song. In your Bible, the little heading there, which isn't Scripture, it says, Mary's Song of Praise, the, the Magnificat. This has been historically an important song in the history of the church. And we can learn a simple lesson before we even get into the details of it, that a right response to the Lord is singing. Mary sings. Mary sings. And what is her song? What is her song? Well, my soul magnifies the Lord. Mary wasn't a selfie kind of girl. She was magnifying the Lord. She found her worth, her identity, her meaning in her Lord. Mary is all about in the midst of this pregnancy, which I'm sure was great temptation to pride. Could you imagine the temptation Mary faced to prideful arrogance, thinking that she is something? And the first words out of Mary's mouth here, is a song magnifying the Lord. Oh, young women, you're tempted to all kinds of vanity, and a culture that wants you to be all about your body and sexiness and so on. Magnify the Lord. Same thing to you as young men. She magnifies the Lord. We also see Mary sings, as Zechariah will, about the salvation coming from God. In verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is important. Again, we have taken up residence in a, what was once a Catholic church. There used to be an image of Mary over the altar. It's been removed and replaced by an empty cross. This is significant. Mary wasn't sinless. If she was, why would she call God her Savior? Why would she have need for a Savior if she was sinless? So to our brothers and sisters, Catholic, that is false teaching. That Mary is sinless. It's wrong. It's blasphemy to pray to Mary. It's a sin against God. You have only one mediator between God and man. It's Christ Jesus, the Son of Mary, the Son of God. I don't say that. Because we're better than our Catholic brothers and sisters, because we all have need to repent of sin, and that is a great sin. Mary needs a Savior. She says it herself. In fact, St. Thomas Aquinas, the preeminent Roman Catholic theologian, states about this verse that here Mary is confessing her sin. The mother of Christ opens her song by expressing her deepest need of a Savior, and her son within her womb is that Savior. Isn't that mind-boggling? Don't you love being a Christian? Figure that out for me. Doesn't God humble you? Those of you who have great degrees and great minds, you can't do anything with that. Figure that out, right? This is wonderful. So Mary's song is about salvation. This is a salvation from generation to generation. It will go on forever. God is faithful. He's done it in Christ. And those who 
respond with fear before God or respond in humility are welcomed in, but those who are proud and mighty, those who are rich in themselves, those who think that there's something, are sent away. Mary says that this is all due to the rich mercy of God. So as you consider again of God's love, of God's mercy, His love and mercy is found in Christ. So many times, maybe especially around Christmas, we're tempted to evaluate God's love and mercy for us on what else he's giving us or what he hasn't given us. And so we wonder if he loves us. We wonder if he's merciful towards us. Sometimes you're even convinced that you need something beyond Scripture. You need a secret, private whisper from God that he loves you. You're, you're thinking that Christianity and God's love for you is based on something outside of Scripture where God himself is personally coming to you with a word of love for you. It's become so confusing for Christians, almost debilitating. You want an experience like Mary. You want an experience like Elizabeth where God comes personally and whispers something of his care and concern and nearness towards you. It's not true. All you need is this. God's word is eternal. God's word is living. God's word is true today for you as it's been for all time. God is merciful to you because he says it here in sending his son. This is what you must convince yourself of. His mercy is in the form of a baby who would soon hang on a cross dying in your place for your sins. Is God rich and merciful to you? Rich in mercy to you? Yeah, because he sent his son. Does God love you? Yeah, because he sent his son. This is the only communication you and I need from God of his love and mercy. Don't settle for second best here, waiting for some secret, private voice. Don't settle for second best, waiting for some healing or some gift. Center yourself on Christ as God's love and mercy to you. Let me apply that in one way by saying the only way that you'll come to know this love and mercy is by reading the Bible. You, as a believer, need to read the Bible regularly. So, brothers and sisters, if there is something to take away from this morning, it is that God loves you in sending his Son and that you need to do the work of reading this book to know it regularly. Take that as a rebuke. Don't don't be a Christian who never reads the Bible or rarely reads the Bible. Get into God's Word. Second, let's apply again Mary's singing. One of the reasons that we want to include children in our service, one of the reasons we Don't mind mothers and fathers being distracted managing their children. One of the reasons we don't mind you as older folks having to put up with the distraction of children around you, and I say that like as a, it's not, you shouldn't be. Don't be so grumpy. It's Christmas. It's because we want to see our children, we want our children to see us singing. We want our children to see their dads singing. Because we're learning. 
And so, men, can I encourage you? Do you have the manly zeal to sing like Mary? <laughs> Let Mary uh, shame you if I can. Like how she sings. Sing men. Sing women. So after Mary sings, we see in verse 56 that Mary remained with Elizabeth three months. So if you remember before, in um, verse 36, Mary was told by the angel that Elizabeth was in her sixth month. And now Mary had been there three months. So if you do the math, Elizabeth's due. She's ready. Mary returns home, and Elizabeth gives birth to a son. The relatives and neighbors come because of God's great mercy, because of this astounding miracle. If you know the biblical story, much of it is carried along by barren women giving miraculous birth. And so anybody who was any kind of biblically aware, which they all would have been, would realize something is happening here. And they all come to see it. And one of the things that happened in this day is that typically the first son would take the father's name. So they all assumed that he would be born Zechariah. But you know better because you read the story before that the angel told Zechariah that he should call him John. And so while it's a surprise to all the relatives and neighbor that the mother answered that you should call him John. Well, it's a surprise then when they go to the father that he, he says his name is John very directly. His name is John. It's not a surprise to us. Now again, if you remember, we've said this last week and at the baptism service, naming in the Bible is a, is a really big deal. It shows authority, shows ownership. John is owned by God. That's why you and I, when we're baptized, are named by the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because we are owned by God. We're given God's name. So the mother and father agree. His name shall be called John. And all of the people fear after John's father, Zachariah's tongue is loosed. He blesses God. We'll see his blessing of God here in a minute. And fear came on all of them. They laid these things up in their hearts. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is not a heartless religion. Christianity is not an emotionless religion. These things should cause you fear and wonder. You should feel them. They should affect you. If this doesn't affect you, if this story doesn't do something internally, are you living? Do you have a pulse? Are you breathing? You should seek medical attention immediately. If this isn't doing something internally to you, this is a wonder, brothers and sisters. Look at what's going on here. So the hand of the Lord is with this son, and the father Zechariah in verse 67 is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies. Again, just like his wife, Elizabeth, this isn't like he just got saved here or something. This is God coming and giving him an extraordinary ability to say out his word. So we get some definition of prophecy here. Prophecy isn't just foretelling. Prophecy is preaching. Zechariah is about to preach. <laughs> He's about to get up in the pulpit and give a sermon concerning God's son. And Zechariah's sermon begins with, Blessed be the Lord God Israel, just like Mary. My soul magnifies, blessed be the Lord. He's glorifying God. All the news of Christ's coming should result in God's people glorifying God. When you hear that God sent his son to save you, that isn't a statement of your great worth, but of God's. 
When we hear that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that's a statement of God's greatness. And our response is to bless him, to magnify him, because he is so great. Who is like him? Brothers and sisters, that's what should be going through your mind all the time. Who is like this God? That there is a God like this who would do things like this should blow your mind. Blessed be the Lord of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That word visited is uh, important. It doesn't mean just a, uh, an appearance. It, it, it has a, the connotation of special attention to look upon. It's another way to say that God came near in the flesh to save his people. If you remember back to the story of Israel, where God looked upon their misery and slavery, it wasn't just God noticing It was God beginning to work for salvation for his people. That's what's going on here. God is visiting his people to save them. Now notice this. Who comes to save? It's not an angel. It's not a pastor. It's not a diplomat. It's God himself. God himself, Emmanuel. Christ, the son of Mary, is God and he's coming to save. And so Zechariah's entire prophecy, his preaching here, is all about salvation. He raised, he's going to redeem his people in verse 68. In verse 69, he raised up a horn of salvation. In verse 71, they're going to be saved from all their enemies. Verse 74, he's going to be delivered from the hand of the enemies. In verse 77, he's going to give us the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. He's going to give light, in verse 79, to those in darkness and in the shadow of death, guide our feet in the way of peace. This entire text is about the salvation of sinners. This entire text is about the salvation of sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is what is going on here. That's what's all been going on from the very beginning of the Bible, hasn't it? When Adam and Eve sinned, when Adam, who is our federal representative, sinned and took us all into the ruin and misery of sin, so that we are born with natures of sin, at enmity with God, dead to God, apart from God, God made a promise to Eve that a son born of a woman would do a line dance on the head of Satan and crush his skull. That's what's happening here. When God spoke those words, prophecy isn't mere foretelling. Prophecy isn't mere prediction. What does God's word do? When God speaks in Genesis 1, what happens? When God says, let there be light, what happens? His word is powerful to bring forth what he says. When God tells Eve, you're going to have a son who will smash things up, what is he doing? He's not just predicting. He's powerfully bringing about what he's speaking. God's word creates. And here it is. The word in flesh. Coming. Saving. What is he saving us from? Well, we see in verse 77, from our sins. Salvation is you 
being rescued from enslavement to your sin. Isn't sin miserable? Has your sin ever produced anything good for you? Has your sin even ever given you anything? Doesn't your sin just take? Hasn't your sin always destroyed relationships? Why is your marriage not what you want it to be? Because of your sin. Why is your relationship with your children not what you want it to be? Because of your sin. Why do you have friendships from the past that once were really good and no longer are? It's because of sin. He came to save us from it. He came to rescue us from that which owned us. He came to rescue us from that which would destroy us and take us down into hell. And so, salvation is forgiving you of all of your sins and rescuing you from them so you no longer have to walk in them. Don't miss that, brothers and sisters. He not only cleanses you, he rescues you from it. You don't have to walk in it anymore. Paul, Romans 7, the things I should do, I don't. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do. Who will save me from this body of death? Who will save me from this sin? That is, in my Christian walk, who will lead me out from continuing to do these things that are so awful? Praise be to God, Jesus Christ, my Lord. He came to rescue you from sin. Zechariah also says that he's saving you from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. Christianity is warfare. A campus minister uh, was preaching at a local campus, and afterwards, a student came up and said, you're just a, um, a Christian hater, you hate women, you hate gays, you hate this. You're just a Christian bent on world domination. (laughs) And the guy said, yeah, you're you're right. You're right. At the end of the age, Christ will reign over everything. But notice again how God does it. He also said to the student, I'm willing to admit that I'm a Christian supremacist as long as you're willing to admit that you're a secular supremacist. You hate me. You hate everything that I just talked about. You want a world rid of people like me. And you know how the the secular supremacists do it, right? With guns. How do Christians do it? By telling about the birth of a child. How is this world going to come to be dominated? By the birth of a child. (laughs) By the womb of a woman. (laughs) Go and tell your neighbors about this, all right? Watch them. They'll come to Christ. Their lives will be changed. This world will get saved. How is Rhinelander going to be saved? By you telling your wicked neighbors who are enemies of God that there was a child born, (laughs) a virgin. (laughs) right and you're an idiot and you're a fool for believing things like this isn't it delightful to be a Christian you don't have to pretend that you're smart (laughs) you don't have to hold on to any pretense that you're anything 
Because for you to believe this means that you are the greatest corn poke of corn pokes. You are a redneck hodag. But you have enemies, all right? Satan is your enemy. He hates you. This world and its system hates you. And God will save you. And all of his enemies will be defeated. The last enemy in 1 Corinthians 15 defeated is death. All through the birth of a son. Why does God do it like this? Why does God save sinners in this world through the womb of a woman and the birth of a child? So that the weakness of God might shame the strength of man. First Corinthians, right? So that the wisdom, the, the smallest wisdom of God might shame the greatest wisdom of man. So that God gets all the glory. So that God gets all the glory. So you and I then are given the job of Elizabeth's child. We are to go into all of creation and preach this gospel. You are to invite your friends and neighbors here Christmas Eve and any other Sunday to hear this gospel that they might turn and be saved. You're supposed to take classes to learn the truth more so you might have a ready answer for those who ask why this hope is within you. So, there is freedom in Christ. John, or Zechariah says in verse 77 that his son is coming to prepare the way of the Lord to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. <clears throat> he says in verse 79 that Christ come who is the sunrise to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to cry at our feet in the way of peace. What is keeping you from coming to Christ? It's likely just your pride. You think your sin is too great. You've done too much bad. <clears throat> You've been in too much darkness. All Christians are hypocrites and mean. You don't like some of the things in God's word. You know that there is no sin that God will not forgive. You know that there is no darkness where God's light cannot bring you light. There's no shadow of death or pit of hell that his salvation cannot pluck you graciously from and change you and make you new. You have a choice to make. You can continue in darkness that will lead you to eternal death and hell. Or you can humble yourself. Confess to God that you are wrong and sinful. And trust in God's Son, born of a virgin. pray Father our souls magnify you we rejoice in you our Savior you have looked on us humble weak sinful and worked great salvation to the birth of your son you have brought down the mighty and exalted those who are humble. You've filled us with good things. We give you all glory. We pray that you would save those here who are apart from you, that you would give us courage and kindness to tell others. And so, God, would you be glorified now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the charge is this. 
I just want you to go here thinking about your Savior. God sent his son, born of a virgin, to save you, his people. If then you have faith in him, you have his salvation, and it is an eternal one. So rest in it during this Advent and Christmas season. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. In Christ's name, amen.